Now, 2020 has definitely had its challenges, right? And as we're moving into 2021, or it's kind of just arrived, we are all looking to have a better year. Now, if I can think of one of the topics that came up time and time again all last year was mental health, right? Emotional, psychological, even spiritual well-being tied into that was definitely top of mind for many of our sisters. And I spent the year just supporting women around that. Many of you have enjoyed our free class, our emotions class, and, and have told us how much you've benefited from it. Alhamdulillah. It's coming up again. We do it once or twice a year in a couple months. So hold on tight for that. It's closed now. But many of you also, also joined us in our emotions course, which I am doing with so many of you sisters right now. Shout out to all the women doing that hard work. I'm so proud of you and all the accomplishments that you've made. But in 2021, I definitely wanted to continue to support all of our sisters regardless. So today I have a special surprise. We have Dr. Raymond Brock, and he's here to talk to us about how we can handle um, our mental health even better this year in 2021. He has a ton of advice that I can't wait to share with you. And in this podcast, you're going to get to talk more about a topic that maybe in our community has become quote unquote taboo. Well, it is not today. We're going to talk about exactly what we can do to better our mental health and our emotional well-being this year in Shalvis let's see the advice that the doctor has Welcome back to the Mindful Muslim Speaks podcast. I'm your host, Mindful Muslim Speaks. And now I want to talk today about a topic that has become such a huge topic in the Muslim community, but I'm not sure that we have um, everything that we need to know about how we need to approach it. There's a lot of misconceptions in the community regarding mental health, regarding Iman, and I'm so happy that today we're able to have um, a very, very well-respected and important person in the Muslim community that I need everyone to know about, Dr. Raymond Brock. So Dr. Raymond Brock, if you're not already familiar with him, he has a PhD in counseling psychology. He's also the assistant imam at Masjid Ahl-Sunnah and co-founder of the Five Before Five Foundation, a mental health nonprofit for Muslims and communities of color. He hosts mental health talk shows on the foundation's website, and we're going to put the two links for those below. Very excited about this. So, um, Dr. Raymond Brock, welcome to the show. Assalamu alaikum Thank you for having me on. Alhamdulillah. I'm really, really interested about what you do for the Muslim community. Could you just tell us a little bit more about the work that you're doing? Okay. Um, so Alhamdulillah, I think I wear a lot of different hats uh, relative to mental health um, because really I think my goal, especially going into mental health as a person of color and then as a Muslim, um, because I accepted Islam before I finished my doctorate, um, is to spread mental health awareness and try to help communities of color, underserved communities, communities of faith. And so, um, you know, of course we do therapy. Uh, as a counselor for many years, I started counseling, I think back in 2009, mm. uh, alhamdulillah. This is when I was first introduced to uh, the Islamic Center at NYU. And that was really the beginning of me getting involved in the Muslim community. Um, and instead of just doing counseling and leaving it at that, of course, as everybody knows, or many people are familiar with NYU, they do a lot of programming. So 
doing halakat and, and all kinds of other speaking engagements and seminars and things like that, um, that was very much in line with how I was taught to bring mental health um, to communities in color in graduate school. And so, um, you know, that's been a very, very central part of my approach to, um, you know, helping people live healthier lives. Yeah. But then also more recently, I've stayed like in the last uh, four to five years, what we started doing was producing mental health, like multimedia content. Mm -hmm. So we have the talk show. We've actually filmed several documentaries around mental health issues. Wow. Uh, we have a documentary on uh, just mental health in general, broadly defined. So we go over depression, anxiety, healthy living, self-image, college students, you know, everything that we can do. Um, but then we also uh, talked about government surveillance and psychological effects. We do a lot of those kinds of things, right? And so alhamdulillah, I've traveled around getting to know people's stories about issues they're going through or work that they're doing in the community that's meaningful that we can replicate, alhamdulillah. And I feel like that has also expanded the reach in terms of um, raising awareness around mental health. So we're, we're doing so many different things in the Muslim community. Uh, I know this answer is a little long, but the last thing that we're doing that I'm very, very proud of, uh, we're actually working on uh, creating an, an Islamic mental health mini-series, uh, um, uh, kind of like uh, a, a mental health raise anatomy show for Muslims. Um, but then also we're partnering with different masajid to offer all of these services, doing counseling, uh, doing consultation to the masjid, training in the masjid for the staff, um, and then monthly programming for masjid in New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, we're everywhere, alhamdulillah, we're expanding pretty well. SubhanAllah, I love that. And as a person who's been on the ground for so long, knowing that that is really, really what we need to see, thank you so much for taking the initiative. And of you know, course. I think we have something in common where I'm too really big about building resources online because yes. I think as a Muslim community, we're constantly having to like take other people's resources and tweak them and ask like, can I use that as a Muslim? Can I Correct. not? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, no, really. So thank you so much. That you, That's such a, a really, really big part of what we're missing. And to have someone like you create that, I really encourage everyone to check all that out. And I will definitely at the end, guys, leave all the links for what he's talking about. And I'm sure a lot of it's like in the making, but that's exciting too. So if right. they have any feedback, they can always give it. Awesome. So, um, you know, what I wanted to get into is often as a community, we confuse mental health issues with weak faith in Iman constantly yeah. when I'm talking to women. Yeah. It's like, oh, I'm struggling, so this. And we kind of also beat ourselves up. So I just wanted to ask you to please help us get some clarity around the difference between like a mental health issue with ourselves or any of our family members and then like a lack of faith or amen. Okay, so uh, first and foremost, let's look at what Allah says, right? In the Quran, Allah, he says that the, the Quran is Al-Furqan, he says it's a criterion, right? It's, it's the yardstick that we use to judge ourselves and to guide our actions, right? First and foremost. And so when you're talking about, when you're having, you know, emotional struggles with whatever difficulty Allah might have decreed for you, um, where does it say in the Quran that because you find it difficult, it's because you have low iman, right? Uh, rather, it's a, it's a test from Allah. It's something that's meant for you to have to return to him. It's something um, that Allah is testing you by that you might get some reward and you're looking to overcome and strengthen you. But then there's also lessons that you can learn from it that might benefit you, 
right? And I think that especially in mental health, we, we try to help people around meaning making. Um, the leadership in the Muslim community, the Muslim community, the members as a whole, we've kind of taken on this notion that the only people who struggle are people who have weak iman. And that's not necessarily true, even though I don't think it's also completely untrue, right? And the reason why I say this is, um, what problem can anybody face in their lives that strengthening their iman won't help, right? When you look at it from that perspective. Um, does my iman has to have to necessarily be weak in order for me to strengthen it? No, not necessarily. And we know from the sunnah of the Prophet وسلم, that when he encountered difficult times, he cried. Um, when, he, when he lost his children, when there were hardships in the community, he cried and he struggled. And he also advised the people to emote and express their emotions too. Uh, and he never blamed people for that. And so when we, when we look at that, it's this mistaken notion that it's righteousness, that accepting the qadr of Allah means that we don't feel any particular way about it. And it's, we, you'll never see in the Quran that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala blames someone for finding it difficult. Rather, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tries to send down encouragements to the MBI and, and, and uh, venerates the righteous people from amongst the predecessors um, who actually really tried to rely on, on Allah. And he includes in his Quran that they, the dua that they made to him with their difficulties and hardships. And so I think that a lot of it really comes from socially changing our notions about our own selves Islamically, but then also how we're studying the religion and how we're applying it, right? Because I think that we've just kind of, uh, taken on really just like this common colloquial understanding of the Quran that's really just from our nafs as opposed to, you know, trying to look at the best of what Allah is trying to guide us to. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I was talking, I just put up a podcast um, a week or two ago about culture versus religion, culture versus mm. STEM, and how we're constantly imposing our culture on Islam, and we're constantly imposing our nefs and things. And we have to really get clarity on what Islam actually says. So I, I love that Correct. you said Allah has never blamed anyone for struggling. And yet we Correct. blame ourselves and we, we put these additional things that Allah, this pressure that Allah didn't put. So I love I love that you're reminding us of that, because I think that's really key. And um, you know, a lot of what I wanted to talk to you about is things that women constantly ask me about. So this is just like a beautiful opportunity. And many women are feeling like their emotions are overwhelming right now. I mean, I mm -hmm. think everyone, woman, not woman, is feeling a bit overwhelmed. <laughs> I actually put out a YouTube video about like how like everyone is at a high, not everyone, like a lot of people are at a high mm -hmm. state of anxiety right now. Even me, I was yeah. just going outside. I almost like try not to interact with people, <laughs> even though I know we should, because I find everyone is just constantly like almost like really really difficult to deal with and so i'm keep reminding myself of like how to deal with these different states and and how to re renew my faith and renew my patience and renew my intention before i go out the door because that that's definitely um something we have to constantly do which is remember that right. everyone is struggling right now how can we be empathetic about what they're dealing with and so right. You know, many women are struggling right now. And as we have received increased calls from women on loneliness, high anxiety, um, the issue is that many of our cultures treat seeking help as a taboo. And there's a really great deal yeah. of shame sometimes involved. So how can a person know 
um, you know, first of all, what do you have to say to that, like in terms of that taboo? And then, and then I want to follow it up with asking, like, how can we stop dealing with it alone and falling into that taboo and kind of come out and, and know when it's time to get help if we need it? Um, I think that to, to some degree, it's going to take um, a certain amount of courage, yeah. right? Whenever we're trying to change a, a trend in our society, in our cultures, you're going to get pushed back, um, but it's not necessarily—it's not necessarily the truth that because you're getting pushed back, you must be wrong. If you're just um, trying to challenge the people towards something that's outside of their comfort zone, um, and especially as Muslims, I think that grounding it in the Quran, grounding it in the Sunnah, and making your outreach and encouragement, your nasiha to the people and to the leadership of the community, making it grounded and trying to please Allah, that this is the best way to try to get success, even though it might be difficult. Look at, look at the examples of the MBA. Um, they really had a beautiful message and they were rejected for it. And they had to rely a lot on Allah. They were hurt, they were disheartened, they were discouraged, right? Some of them fled, right? Like they, it was very difficult. And, and if we're talking about changing culturally, um, how we see asking for help, um, you got to expect that that mechanism of shaming people from asking for help is there for a reason and people are going to protect not the shaming, but really they're protecting the shaming because they're protecting the reason, right? I don't want to look weak. And if you're encouraging me to do something that might potentially make me vulnerable to looking weak, then I'm going to lash out and I'm going to reject you and I'm going to speak out against you. Not because you're right, not because you're wrong, but because I'm so afraid of looking vulnerable. And I think that the reality of it is, is that every, I was just listening to a YouTube video uh, with some comedians having a conversation about Christian comedy. And they were talking about, which I did not expect at all. They talked about the vulnerability and the humanity of the Christian, like the devout Christian community that everybody is pretending doesn't exist. That people are human beings and they're struggling and suffering. They have real doubts and fears and emotional issues that they're trying to work through. And they're hiding behind this, this the, the public persona of piety and faithfulness. And you're not able to address yourself authentically as a human being. And, and I, was, I was like, subhanAllah, you know, we're all dealing with this, right? And what I've found is that making, giving voice to it, you'll find more people step up. I, I, I know that as, as a mental health professional, people consistently say to me, we have to get mental health and psychology and counseling to be less taboo in the Muslim community. And, I, and I've been correcting people for years. It's not taboo. It's, it's taboo between you and your friends sometimes in your social circle because the access to that help and support isn't there. And so I always liken it to buying a yacht. If I said to you, would you buy a boat that costs $30 million? And everybody would say, that's, that's ridiculous. That's israf. How in the, I couldn't imagine spending that kind of money on something like that. And so nobody wants that $30 million boat. And then I said, now just imagine that you had $4 billion, right? Would you not go yacht shopping, right? And then they all think yeah. about it like, all right. You know? <laughs> and I think that mental health is, is, is the same way. 
we don't want it because we don't have access to it and we're not familiar with it. But the more that we talk about it, the more we see that everybody is going through what we're going through and nobody wants help in a masjid until I show up. And then everybody wants help. And that's, that's not out of nowhere. I didn't manufacture that into people. It's that they probably weren't feeling open at the time to other people because what were they going to do? I'm open with you. I'm vulnerable with you. And then where do I go? I just take those feelings home as opposed to I'm here and I'm in front of you telling you that I'm here to help you with your story. Those people are going to be more inclined to help. And I think that doing more of that um, is what starts to change the culture of the community. And before we know it, just like 10 years ago, it wasn't as widespread and openly discussed. And it is now. Just imagine where we'll be as a community five years from now. Inshallah, inshallah. I pray for this. This is why we have you here exactly. Alhamdulillah. Get, get that work going. And so, Allah, yeah, sorry, yeah. but I just want to make this point. Allah, yeah, because yeah. a lot of people say, I want to rely on Allah, I want to rely on Allah, I want to rely on Allah. This is true. You should rely on Allah. But what does Allah say in the Quran? He says that we are aliyah for one another. Did he not? And so if we're helpers and supporters of one another, how am I supposed to help and support you if everything that you need help and support with, you're saying to me, I just need to turn to Allah. Then what did Allah mean that I'm helping you and supporting you? It's so true. And, you know, I was having a conversation in one of our, our Thrive workshops the other day and women are like you know what i feel like sometimes with the whole feminist movement women are blaming men but but women are sometimes mean to women and a lot of women <laughs> even when i have no they're like oh my gosh they're worse than men Absolutely they're true. and they're like they're like i'm afraid to ask for help in a public setting because women are going to start talking about me and i don't i don't want to open up sometimes like right. i'll have a workshop and there are women like i know they're private messaging me on the chat all these questions i'm like open the mic say it it's okay and to create that safe atmosphere after it's been so long that we've been helpers of one another publicly, I think there's just so much on social media where it's just people are constantly like making it really challenging for people to open up in an authentic yep. way. Yep. It's just like, I, I, I feel for, for people that, that are going through that. And I wish I could make every space safer, but it's, yep. I know it's, it's hard. Like you said, it's a lot of courage. It's a lot. Of we've created our own struggles. Yeah. Right. I, I once made a video, you know, blaming us as a community. There's a lot of good in the Muslim community, alhamdulillah. But when you look at nafsul awama, the self-reproaching soul, we have to look at our own selves, right? When you say it's so hard for people to open up, well, nobody opens up, nobody opens up, nobody opens up. Yes, part of that equation is that we struggle with being vulnerable. Being vulnerable is very painful and we're gonna to try to avoid that. But the other parts of it is that when I've tried to be vulnerable in the past, someone's hurt me. With, with what I try to entrust them with. Yeah. And so we've earned it. We've earned people not wanting to open up to us, yeah. right? And so we kind of created our own monster and it's only for us to dig ourselves up out of this hole by, you don't need to go and like, you don't have to get on the member and then tell everybody your deepest, darkest fears and insecurities, right? But who, who do you trust and love? And who's shown you in the past a capacity to take care of your feelings when you present them, right? Those are the people that we're saying you should confide in, right? At least in the beginning, as we begin to work like societally on the Muslim community, we're kind of working in both directions, right? 
Yeah, no, it's so true. And you know, it's funny because I have a Facebook group and I have Instagram and stuff like that for, for myself with women, but I realized I needed it even like more intimate space, like you said, for them to find that mm. close few. And some of them said, I right. didn't have family. I didn't have friends yet that I could find that with. So I created what I, when many women know we have, which is Thrive Muslima, which is like almost like a vetted, a vetted space, which is private online where women are like, I'm committed. I want to support other women. I want to do the journey too. And I, I, promise to be you know xyz kind of way towards other women yeah. as i know this is a space that like you know i don't have to be here this is like a privilege that we're together because yeah. I, I i want women to know like there's there's no type of hate speech on this particular yeah. group we're all just supporting and, and meeting yeah. each other where we are it's not even a judgmental space so i'm um, just going to the second part of what you were talking about um could you give us some advice for women? Like sometimes they're, they're, um, what they're battling with within themselves could be something that they could fix and man manage with, with certain tips and skills and things. And sometimes there's a point where they might have to go see a professional. So can you give us some advice as to how women can tell which one they are? I know it's pretty generalistic, but I'm just saying no. like, as much as you can for the women that are out there listening and they have been struggling for a while with something, how they can know when it's time to maybe speak to a professional about their, whatever they're going through. So Alhamdulillah, this is, uh, believe it or not, this is a very common question, right? Especially in mental health, it's something that we're taught, right? How do you know when you need help? <laughs> and how do you know when someone needs help? And the short answer is when, I guess in two ways, right? When you've tried everything and, and it's not working, and when something that you're going through exceeds your normal ability to cope, right? And that's as general as your question is, but the reality of it is, is that that fits so many different categories. When you've tried to have a conversation with someone a hundred different ways and it's not working, when you've tried to change a bad habit of yours a hundred different ways and it's not working, um, then that might mean it's time, right? Or when you just are at a complete loss as to what to do at all, I have no idea what to do or say or how to cope with the situation. That's a sign that you need support outside of yourself. And there's nothing wrong with that. A brother would say to me for a month, every session that I met him, Allah knows I can't get through this. I know that Allah says that he never burdens his soul with more than it can bear, but Allah knows I can't bear this. He knows I can't get through it. And I think as, as, as a Muslim and as a therapist, I had to believe that both of those things, um, both of those realities can be true. Not that Allah knows he can't get through it, right? And, and what I mean by that is to say, Allah said he never burdens a person with more than he can bear. And that absolutely has to be true because Allah said it. But this person is also going through something that he feels like he can't bear on his own. And that is true. The, the, the fact of his feeling is true. Is the reality of his ability to be able to handle it true? That remains to be seen in terms of what he can accomplish. But the fact is that Allah, what Allah said is true and what he's feeling is very real. And so what's the truth in the middle of those things? Allah didn't burden that man with more than he can bear. And I said to him, it might be that Allah doesn't mean for you to bear it alone. And so he's put me in your life to help you with it. I've been making dua to Allah for so long and he hasn't answered my dua. And I said, might it be that being in the room with me is the answer to your dua, right? Because 
again, it's that it's that it's that concept that the hardship and the ease they come together. But even though they come together, it doesn't necessarily mean that they always land together. I always say that it's like a, a meteor falling to the earth, right? It breaks apart and some parts fall in other places. They came down together, but the hardship might've fallen at your feet, but the ease might've fallen in a field and you have to go and look for it. And if you only stare at your feet at the hardship, you're gonna say, all I see is suffering. Well, that's absolutely true. But does it not mean that Allah didn't send down the resources for you to get the help that you need? No. Yeah, no, so true. And I was actually just putting out something just yesterday on that, like sometimes we pray for something and then Allah gives us exactly that in, a, in not the way we quite expected. Like there's that saying, um, you pray for patience and then Allah gives you a line at the bank. <laughs> you know, like he's yes. like, here you go. <laughs> Practice that right now. You know, like he's like, he's giving you the situation and the people to develop that within yourself. Here you go. And that's not how we want it. That's not, yeah, you no, know, I, I tell people, quick fix. Yeah. <laughs> it didn't come in the box, the size that I wanted and the color wrapping and the boldest style that I like. And so it's like Allah never sent it. And sometimes we have to, to look clearly, how much does Allah say in the Quran, right? Like, to, so that perhaps you might be somebody who reflects or remembers in all of those, are you not reasoning? Allah wants us to sit back sometimes and just reflect and process and think for ourselves, you know, what might I be overlooking? I think that sometimes we get so lost in our feelings. Our feelings become so they become central to what we're going through as opposed to becoming a part of what we're going through and that we're almost immersed up to our, our necks, you know, and the feelings and that we forget to cope and we forget about Allah, right? And say, Allah put this in my life. There's a solution for this because Allah said there's a way. I need to look for it. I need to rely on Allah in the process of looking for it so that he might make the process of looking for it easy for me. But we just get so lost and I feel offended. I feel upset. I feel frustrated. I feel angry and justifiably so. I'm not invalidating anybody's feelings. But when you only stare at the feeling, right, everything else disappears. And that, that can be very, very troubling to the degree that we don't even realize, like your question is, when do we, when do, at what point do we realize we need help? Sometimes you don't realize it because you're staring at a dot on the wall. You don't even realize you're in a house. Yeah, no, it's so true. And it's sometimes those automatic negative thoughts, they just cause you to zoom in on only mm -hmm. the bad that's in your life. And it's like that saying, right. like Allah says, I am as you think of me, my servant thinks that's of right. me, right? So I'm just that's like, right. I'm just like, oh, well, if, if I'm just thinking about how horrible life is, then all I'm gonna see is everything horrible in my life when there's so much good. Yeah. And and yeah. so much of what I try to to teach women, or at least it's it's more like a movement here in mindfulness to bring women back to being more mindful, like you said, yes. the reflecting. If we only reflect, there's just honestly so much good. And subhanAllah, may Allah help us all to find it in our day. And, and touching on to the last thing that I wanted to sure. ask you about, as a mental health professional, there's a lot going 
on right now. And, you know, like you were saying before, like we want in this type of a box. And I was saying that, you know, just the other day, not every gift comes in a box. Like COVID <laughs> is very much a gift in some ways. Yes. So what yeah. I need to ask you, like in, in general right now, what are some tips that you can give for the Muslim community that they should just be considering right now in these trying times? If you give like your top tips, what would they be in terms of like things to keep front of mind right now? Um, being mentally and emotionally flexible is very important. I think that a lot of time, I, I was reading an article yesterday about, um, you know, she, a young adult woman and, uh, she was living in New York and then, you know, the COVID shutdown was coming. And so she wrote an article about going back to Texas to live with her, her mother and recently relocating back to New York. And the article was about how she realized that New York is her new home for, for good or bad, good times, bad times, and she's gonna make it work, right? And that to me says, there's a lot about, we call it psychological hardiness, right? Like she's being resilient and she's, she's gonna take these new life challenges as challenges and that she's going to push herself to try to adapt and cope with them as opposed to being very rigid. She talked about coming back to um, her apartment and she's got new roommates now and you know places aren't open anymore. Her friendship circle has changed because a lot of people have moved away. And she, she just kind of, my mother would say, living with, dealing with life on life's terms. And I think that that's such an important part of um, coping with, the times that Allah has decreed for us because this is temporary too. And so if you're making the best of it by way of first and foremost saying, how can I please Allah? Like how can I not just please, please Allah, how can I impress Allah, right? How, again, instead of being in my feelings saying, how can I impress Allah? How can I use this as something that it, on Yom Qiyamah, I'm gonna be very proud and so happy to see this, right? This is one of the things that we have to understand, and I'm sorry to belabor this answer, but I think it's religiously very important. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. So when we mention the Prophet's name, we say Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, right? And that means may God's prayer and peace be upon him, right? Sallallahu means Allah's prayer, right? May Allah pray over the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And we know Allah does not make Salah, like how we make salah. He doesn't make ruku and sujood and all of those things. The Prophet he explains this to the Sahaba. And he says, Allah's form of salah, Allah's form of prayer is to praise his servant to the angels. And so this is what we're really asking of Allah when we say for the Prophet But Allah, he says in the Quran, the same thing for the people who say, uh, in, uh, um, right? Verily we belong to Allah and to him we are returning. When Allah tests us with difficulties in our lives, Allah, he says, Allah, he says in the Quran, for the people who deal with those trying times by remembering Allah and returning to Allah and being mindful of Allah, that upon them is Allah's salah and mercy. 
So the same thing we're asking for the Prophet وسلم, Allah has created a means for us to get that for ourselves too. Okay. When we're mindful during these trying times um, to be dutiful to Allah and to please Allah and to make the most of it for our own selves and to gain a lesson from it. Um, and so it's, again, it's about changing some of that meaning and not being rigid, being creative, um, but then also reaching out for help when it becomes too much. You've done all the creative things you can think of. You've tried to be as flexible as you could be and it's still a little overwhelming. Turn to Allah, of course, with it, right? And then ask for help. Look, I'm, I'm going stir crazy. I need a break, I need time, I need whatever it is, you know, try to take stock of your own self and try to express those needs to the people, to the people closest to you. I agree. And, and we're trying so much to work with women on like harnessing those reactions, like that 20 seconds between something happens to them every day and their response to it. And, mm -hmm. and, and, and when things get overwhelming to start saying less of why is this happening to me and shifting from why to what? What is Allah trying to show me in this moment? <laughs> I know it's hard. It's easier said than done. No. But we're, you know, like, what, am I, what, is, what is going on right now? What is Allah trying to teach me? What is the lesson in this moment? And, and how can I take something away from that instead of just feeling like, you know? Um, but the, the last part yeah. of that I wanted to just touch on, like, what's some advice? And I know it's a tough one because we're, we're restrained by the situation. Um, so much beauty in our religion is that sense of community and that that person to person you know he made the tribe so we could know one another and in this time where people are feeling lonelier than ever i mean yes. what can we tell them to to give them some advice in terms of managing i don't want to say managing as if they're supposed to stay in that but like how how can they how can they deal with that in a day-to-day -day basis I've, i mean i encourage women in my own way but like what advice would you give to people who are struggling really with that disconnect from human contact from other people which yeah. I just like they beat themselves up that they can't handle that but I feel that's just so unnatural I, it's I almost like liken it to solitary confinement in prison you know like when you want to break someone <laughs> no I, I hate to say it but it's like true. When, it's true when you want to break someone you make them be alone and then it just right. so I'm just saying like they're not crazy for feeling as bad as they do but like what advice can we give for them about the loneliness aspect in the human contact Again, honestly, I think it's being creative. I, I know for myself, right? One of the things that I used to do, and you know, I, I felt bad for a while because I felt like I was having the best quarantine ever. Because I personally can't wait to be locked in the house because I'm always so busy and have a million things to do. And I, you know, to be in the house with my wife and kids and you know what I mean? And to spend that time with them was very important for me. But then I also realized without actually doing it on purpose, that I had an outlet that a lot of people didn't have. Um, and then when I realized I had it, I started rec recommending my wife to it. I used to, um, in my neighborhood, there's a tennis court not too far. And I would literally take my phone and take a tripod and do therapy sessions on a park bench sometimes. Like there's, it, there's a park where only you can sit there. <laughs> And so no one can hear, no one. And so it's still very, very private. And you can see the people across the way playing tennis. Ah. And, and I used to sit and just people watch and talk on the phone, right? And that, and that was my exposure. Um, and so I used to tell my wife, like, let's go, let's go people watch, right? Like, let's just walk in the park and do what we can. 
We're having an unseasonably warm winter, right? Um, maybe go out with one of your girlfriends and walk around the park, you know? Um, I, I even encourage people to FaceTime each other while they walk, you know, walk around the park by yourself and your friend walks around a park, another park in her neighborhood by herself and y'all talk, right? And get out and get active and see people. And, you know, again, we have to be creative while we're being safe um, to a lesser degree. I know, I know that, um, you know, we're still doing a lot of filming for, for the different projects. And uh, one of my friends who wants to film, she's like, okay, well, let's get together and film. We should all get uh, tested for coronavirus before we meet up because we want to do it in person. But I have a sister who has, a, you know, a compromised immune system. So we all got to be safe. And so it's really like being creative like that with each other and sometimes just getting tested. Let's, let's go to dinner. Let's go to lunch. Let's have whatever, right? Um, but let's get tested first. Yeah. Right. Like let's, I think let's, outside let's, the box these days. You got it. This is like, you got to get the creative juices flowing. I mean, at the end of every day, I think there are other ways to do things. We just get so comfortable and used to doing them yes. one way, right? It's not that yeah. there isn't another way. It's just that right. we're just like, well, that's what I'm used to doing. All right. Well, here's an opportunity to learn something <laughs> new. <laughs> so. and, 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 but these lessons are important. And, and, you know, I think that I, I'll give you an example, right? So, uh, a brother said to me the other day, like he struggles with his esteem around getting married, right? He really struggles with the idea of being rejected and somebody not being interested in him and all of those kinds of things. And I said to him, you know, okay, let's work on that, but let's think um, the long game here. Cause he wanted to just avoid it. And I said, yes, you could successfully avoid it. And God forbid, like you just marry a woman you know, you find a woman who's interested in you and you just marry her. You never had to deal with the um, insecurities and the uncertainty around a woman not being interested in you or not being attracted to you, right? Um, and I said, but what happens when you have a son and you encourage him to get married, right? Like you haven't been through the life lessons that will, will give you insight to be able to guide him um, because you skirted a difficulty uh, for yourself, right? And you weren't thinking about who might benefit from the lessons. We think about our wealth being something we want for generations to come. We wanna have enough money that my children's children are doing well, right? But I also think that our emotional resilience, our spirituality, our connection with the law is something that we can also pass down to people too. And the only way to do that is to kind of face things head on. Yeah, 100%. You know, I'm actually reading a lot on now is actually the genetics of that, mm -hmm. how it gets passed on genetically. It's very, very interesting as well. But mm -hmm. I'm definitely, even myself, trying to skill up more than ever on like anything <laughs> I feel I'm deficient in right now. I'm like, I have a lot of time to skill up. Let's get this going. Sure. Reading, learning more than ever. And that's why I, I love that you came on to educate us in so much of this. It was such a blessing. And I want to let people know um, if they want to reach out, I'm going to put down below in all the show notes and everything, all your um, links. But if you just want to say out loud, um, like what's the best way for people to reach you and in, in, in that, uh, in that uh, email or, or whatever, or website that you. Sure, sure. So, so uh, the five before five at gmail.com, all words, the five 
b45 at gmail.com. That's our foundation. It's the hadith of the Prophet وسلم, take care of five things before five things. And in that he's advising us to be proactive and to take advantage of the times when things are going well and we're healthy, we have time and money and youth and all of those things because when the times change and we're in harder times, we're older, we don't have money, we don't have our health, we have so much built up that we can rely on what we practiced to benefit us now. And so we're trying to do the same thing with mental health. So five, the five before five at gmail.com. Um, and then also that's, that's our, our website, uh, the five before five.com. Uh, we also have psychology and color.com psychology and color. And that's our, the analog of uh, five before five. And that's for all communities of color and all communities of different faiths, um, because they're in need too. And, um, my phone number in terms of reaching me, text is the best way <laughs> uh, to reach me. Any, any form of writing is 201-448-7234. Um, please don't be shy to harass me. I apologize. I do get a lot of messages and calls and things like that. So it, it does take a while for me to get back to you. And of course, all of the projects that we're doing. Um, but, you know, please reach out and don't, don't feel like, um, don't feel shy uh, to bother me. A lot of people, I'm sorry to bother you. I'm sorry. No, you have to bother me sometimes because I'll be perfectly meaning to get back to a person and then, you know, an emergency comes up, something unexpected or what have you. So. Yeah, and, and I appreciate that. And for those, we do serve 137 countries. So for the women that didn't catch that, that is a USA number. So you're going to have- Oh, to... I'm sorry. Yeah, no, no, you, you wouldn't know that. So um, subhanAllah, I'm just letting for people know that when they do dial it, they're like, oh, it's an international call. I mean, I'm sure they would know, but I just wanted to make sure it was clear because we have from Norway, Sweden, Nigeria, oh, South Africa, yeah. we have everywhere. Yeah, alhamdulillah. So I just wanted women to know that. And I just wanted to end saying women who are in Thrive, um, we're going to make sure that we have um, Dr. Raymond Brock's information there specifically in Thrive. So if you need like a, a professional that you can regularly go to and all his links, right. everything will be in there. We'll put yes. it in the self-help area. And, and all of it, yeah, go ahead. Sorry, we're a team too. It's not just me. Yeah, yeah. You know, I have, but alhamdulillah, there's several other men and women, Muslim and non-Muslim alike, uh, who are working with our foundation, offering counseling and consultation and programming. So, you know, if, if it's not me, it doesn't have to be me. Alhamdulillah, we, we have many, many people who might be able to help Ishaan. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. He has a wonderful team. And and by the way, because I actually have had one of my daughters go to one of his, um, the people that he's worked with in his groups, um, I can just vouch personally to say, no, because I, when I, I was remarried, so when I was divorced the first time, I said, oh, I just want to make sure my kids have someone to talk to, even if it's not me. <laughs> you know, I always want to talk to mommy about everything. And yeah. and really, um, when my daughter said, yeah, mom, I would like to go. And she just loved it. So I just want to personally vouch actually for the work that you do. Um, so just like a lot of for everything you do for the community. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala put absolute barakah in everything. And I can't wait to see, because I live in New York, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to yes. go to the Sajid and see what's <laughs> up and what's going on with everything that you're doing. It'll just be such an absolute blessing. And um, if anyone wants to, to catch any of the links, like I said, they're in the show notes below. Otherwise, thank you guys uh, for another amazing podcast. And I really, really want to say, if you have any other further questions, even for me regarding the podcast or any suggestions for future upcoming podcasts, don't forget to DM me on Instagram as usual at Mindful Muslima. Jazakumallahu khairan. Thank you, doctor, for coming on. Thank you so much. Inshallah, when things, if you have any other major projects and movements and changes in those and updates, we'd love to have you back on the podcast. Jazakum Thank you so much. I appreciate it.
Love it, love it. Thank you so much. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.